Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Welcome to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, captivating and revealing interviews with top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They regale you with memorable and entertaining stories, some hilarious, some emotional, but all of them well worth your time. I'm George Hoffman, and please make sure you subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and the TuneIn app. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is sponsored by Vienna Beef. Makers of Chicago's hot dog and a Chicago institution since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. And by the Polina Market, Chicago's premier purveyors of fine meats and so much more since 1949. Find them at PolinaMarket.com. This week we feature a Chicago sportscaster with a very familiar name, Jared Payton. You know, it goes back to you know, my dad just being the person that he was. He always he would tell me, he said, son, listen, don't be like me, be better than me. And back then I was having a hard time with that too. I didn't know what he was talking about, but I think I understand now. It wasn't like as a football player, it was as a person. And like, he always wanted me, me to be myself. You know, I know now as a, as a father, my son deals with it. It's one thing to be the son of an icon. It's another to make a name for yourself, and Jared is doing that. Along with having played in the NFL and CFL, Jared has fashioned a career at Channel 9 while running his own foundation that strives to influence young people in a positive manner. He's a musician, a father, a tireless worker, and continues to carry the torch his father lit so brightly. So, Jared Payton, tell me a story I don't know. Well, George, there's so many stories, um, especially when it comes to having a dad like Walter Payton, who everybody called Sweetness. Uh, he truly was his nickname. And, you know, to have a father who, you know, you looked up to, he it was kind of like everybody thought your dad was cool because he was this superhero on the football field. But I saw that, but he was also the person that grounded me all the time, too. So I didn't think he was that cool all the time. but the biggest thing that I learned from my dad throughout the 19 years I had with him on this earth was, you know, his, his love for giving back in service. And so I think the story that really jumps out to me first, that really has gotten to me, gotten me where I am today. It's, it starts with 1992. This is four days before Christmas. And I remember him looking at me and I was like, dad, like, what are you doing? He looked at me like, what are you doing? I mean, you're listening to Pearl Jam. And it's funny, George, because, you know, later on in life, after my dad passed, uh, Eddie Vedder was on tour for on this European tour. And he, you know, huge Chicago sports fan, loves the Cubs, loves the Bears. He was rocking my dad's 34 jersey, like a T-shirt type for like, I think, 10 nights straight on this tour. So he was representing my dad. So the fact that Eddie Vedder knows who my dad is, but my dad didn't know who Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam was. It's just always so funny to me. And he looked at me and my dad said, son, get your coat, let's go. And so we did. And then we walked outside into the garage and we got in the Jeep Cherokee and we started driving towards Schaumburg, Illinois. And so my dad had a couple establishments in that area that a lot of people used to frequent back in the day. And normally when we would head that way, he would be going to one of his bars, restaurants, and we would, you know, be signing checks. He would say hi to people and, you know, he would take me with him. But my dad ended up pulling into Toys R Us, which was right pretty close to where Studebaker's was in, in Schaumburg. And, and we pulled in, there was all these cars that were just sitting in the parking lot. 
And I was wondering why like all the brake lights were on and I see exhaust and I'm trying to figure out why all these people are waiting outside. Maybe they're waiting for a toy or something. Well, my dad said, get out. So we got out and we started walking into Toys R Us. And once we got in, the doors opened up and there was four people standing there with carts from Toys R Us. And they had these huge smiles on their faces. And I looked at my dad, I said, why are we here? He said, son, listen, money is no object today. Listen, I need you to go with these four people and get whatever you want. My credit card is on file. Go have fun, get whatever you want. So for a kid, you know, I was 12 years old. I was like shopping spree. And I looked at the four people with the carts. I said, you four people come with me. And so we started walking around Toys R Us and I was getting everything that you could imagine. And I was getting basketballs, baseballs, baseball bats. I mean, I got myself a tennis racket. I don't even play tennis. And I remember looking at one of the pe people walking around with me. I said, how do I look? And, you know, at that time in the 90s, it was all about Andre Agassi. He got me so, so in love with the game of tennis. And so I, I remember putting all these things in this basket and just walking around. And, you know, at that time, a lot of kids when I tell this story it's funny because they they're growing up in this age with like PlayStation and Xbox but the hottest game console out at that time was Nintendo 64 and every kid wanted that and you had to have Mario Kart And I remember walking down the video game aisle. And as I was walking down the video game aisle, it was like this old gone with the wind, hair blowing through the wind, slow motion. When I turned the corner, you know, the video game aisle. And I remember seeing the Nintendo 64 with this blue aura around it saying, buy me, buy me. And I was like, I cannot wait to have this. And once I had it in my possession, I was like, man, this is gonna be the greatest Christmas ever. And then about 30 minutes in, my dad came over the loudspeaker and he goes, don't forget to get something for your sister. So I had to go to the Barbie aisle and get my sister every Barbie and Ken accessory known to man in 1992. And it was just crazy because to think about my dad's celebrity and who he was, that that whole time that we were in that store for 45 minutes to an hour, my dad shut down Toys R Us for that time for me to go around with these people while while other people were outside. And it's funny because I've met a person who was there at that time and they, we were, they, they told the story that my dad came outside and all these people were upset that Toys R Us was closed. They were like, why is it closed? This is this is a couple of days before Christmas. Like people gotta get their shopping in. And my dad got a bunch of footballs and he signed them and he walked around to those cars of people that were sitting there and he was handing out footballs to people like, sorry for the inconvenience. And this lady was yelling at her husband, like, Tim, you go inside and see what's going on. I don't know why they're not letting people in. And then my dad knocked on the window and she's yelling at him and she looks like, oh my gosh, it's Walter Payton. And the, the fact that, you know, my dad did that, it just shows uh, his kindness and what he was all about. And, and when we went to, to check out I was sitting there and I was watching this guy. He was just, he was just beeping all of these toys and they're putting them in bags. And I was just thinking how, how lucky I was to, to have all these toys and that, you know, Christmas is going to be amazing. And my birthday is the day after Christmas. And so I got everything that I wanted and we threw all of the toys into the Jeep Cherokee. And normally we would take a left to go home, but my dad ended up taking a right. He starts driving down the street. As we start driving, we start driving past Woodfield Mall underneath 53. We're just, we're going about 10 minutes down the road. And my dad gets to this apartment complex and he pulls in and he tells me to get out. And I look back at him and I'm like, what? get out for what? I, I don't, where are we at? And then he looked at me and said, I need you to get out and I need you to take, start taking all the toys out of the back of the truck. And I, I looked at him, I'm like, dad, this the we're in a place that I don't know. You want me to take all these toys out? This makes no sense. And for those that have, you know, seen my dad on the sidelines, 
of a Bears game with a ruse headband, a Jerry curl, and a real stern face. He gave me that face. And so I knew he wasn't playing around. So I did what he told me to do. And once we got all the toys out, we walk into on the first floor and the first door to the left, my dad knocks on this door and I can hear this father's voice talking to his kids and the kids are running around and they all sound excited. And well, lo and behold, there was sweetness at the door and he opened and he was looking the other way. And then as soon as he turned, he saw my dad, he literally fainted. Like, I remember looking at him going, what are you doing? Like, this is it's four days before Christmas. <laughs> well, all those toys that I thought were going back to my house were actually going to this family. See, my dad, he found out that this, this father lost his job and that they weren't gonna be able to have Christmas because he wasn't gonna be able to provide Christmas. And he sent a letter to my dad's office, which was down the street, asking for an autographed football that he could have for his family because they were huge Bears fans and that he wasn't gonna be able to, to provide Christmas. But if he can get a football signed by my dad, that that would make the whole entire family's Christmas. And my dad kept that address and those toys were going to that family. And so to be able to bring those toys in to that family's apartment and to see the joy on their faces, to see them with, with all the love in their heart and you know, also reflecting on where I was living at that time and in the house that I was living in South Barrington and all the room that we had and the big house and the gates and the tennis courts and the lake in the back and all that stuff to see this family have this joy literally changed my life forever. And it was at that moment when I figured out what my passion was. It was giving back in service. I got this tingly feeling in my body that I never had in my life up to 1992. And it was like, yo, what is this? What, what's this feeling that I'm having? And so I started to see over time after that moment that when I'm passionate about something, I get that feeling, I get that tingly feeling. Like I know it's something that I should be doing. It's something that I'm passionate about. It's something I'm gonna give my 110% and I'm gonna go all in for it. You know, it's, it's funny that when you came to me about doing this, it just all makes sense because this series, this is made for me. And the moments that I've had have been truly amazing. You know, being able to do it and, and live in a city where where your dad was a, a superstar and, and, and when it comes to the Bears, man, it's the glue that holds everybody together. And so, you know, what my dad did was so special. But what's special for me is that, man, a lot of people have watched me grow up. You know, I heard you speak to a gym full of kids where you expounded on finding your greatness. It was yeah. very motivational. It was very inspirational and seemingly very much you. Tell me a story. I don't, I don't know where you acquired that. Was that strictly from your dad? Is that part of you? What makes everybody great? Because the two people that we have from this city, Michael Jordan and my pops, there's something about both of them that made them great and successful, and money had nothing to do with it. So you look at my pops, he was 5'9". I give him 5'9", less than 200 pounds. He was not supposed to do what he did. This dude, it, and you can clap after I say this, he was the best football player ever. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit, it's a part of me. It's, um, you know, I don't think you'll you'll find a more positive person than me. I mean, I'm always positive and trying to find the positive and even bad situations of, of trying to figure out. And I think a lot of that stemmed from everything that I went through with my dad, you know, back in the day when he was sick. But I think that the speaking part of being able to tell my story, um, it goes back to the Hall of Fame probably for me. Um, it, the Hall of Fame, speech that I did for my dad was 
was that moment for me that changed who I was and not being so guarded and, 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 and kind of walled off to people. And it opened me up to say, whoa, like you could, you can actually do this. And, you know, I, I still remember the day I was sitting in our kitchen in South Barrington and my dad came home from the office one day and he looked at me and he was like, and I, I had my back to him when he came in, he was coming in from the garage and from our, our laundry room. And I had my back towards him and I was looking at something and he came around and he's like, Hey, and I was like, what's up? He goes, you know what? I think I'm going to have you induct me into the pro football hall of fame. I was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> I was that kid, you know, in the early nineties who in middle school was afraid to get up and talk, you know, to all of his peers. Like, I didn't like doing, like, if I was reading a book, I had to do a book report and do it you know, with speech to, to your classmates, like I was freaked out. I would find ways if I had to do that to find a way to get sick and go home. And, and so I was super nervous. And I remember, you know, sitting there with our, my nanny who, who was, who lived with us, Miss Luna, and she looked at me because she, she could see the fear on my face. And she goes, listen, we're going to figure this thing out. We're going to write this speech. I'm going to help you. And we're going to go, go over it again and again and again till you feel comfortable. And I remember thinking over time, I still don't think I can do this. And then the Hall of Fame ended up sending a book to my house. And the book was just about kind of what the Hall of Fame is all about. And the, like the first page was talking about, you know, this is, it's, a, it's an honor to be inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame for any football player. And uh, Hall of Fame speeches are seen by thousands in the crowd and millions on TV. And I shut the book and I was like, nope, not doing this. I am not doing this at all. There's no way. And Miss Luna, she just looked at me. And she said, Master Jarrett, we are going to do this over and over again until you feel comfortable. And so for me, that moment was all about the repetition. The more you do anything, the more comfortable you're going to feel. And as I you know, sacrificed over that summer to really just grind it out, we got to that point and I remember being in Canton and that morning before I did the speech, my dad and I, we got into it a little bit because he bought me all these suits from this, uh, this store that he used to buy from Rialta downtown. He got me all these custom suits with like the padded, like shoulder pads and stuff. Like I, I, I felt like I was huge back then. Like I had some actual muscles. I was so skinny, but I wanted to wear a white t-shirt underneath my, my collared shirt and he was telling me no but it was so hot George that I was like I'm already nervous I'm gonna sweat I need something like to hold the sweat like there's no way I'm gonna sweat through everything because I'm nervous and it's hot and the sun's gonna be beaming on me and so him and I were arguing back and forth he didn't want me to wear it he left out of the room for a minute I put it on my shirt on underneath and then I buttoned up and he already had the tie ready to go so I just put it on and I remember being up on that stage when it was my turn and to see all the the fans in the, in the crowd and, and they were, you know, on their feet and clapping. And, and I remember saying the joke to them, like, sit down, I just gotta get this over with. And they all laughed and it was like, all the air was left out of the bag. Like, there it, you just, go. it takes the edge off, doesn't it? Yeah, it just took the edge off. And I was like, okay, I can do this. I've done this over and over again. Not only is my dad an exceptional athlete, he's a role model. He's my biggest role model and best friend. And after I was done, you know, to turn and see my dad walk towards me and giving me that hug and he was holding me. And I remember him just saying, I'm proud of you. And that was the moment that changed for me that like, this is, this is something that I want to do. And it, it, it did, it just, it took away the edge every time that I got up and, and spoke in front of people. And so, you know, having that positive spirit, having a positive attitude, I knew that it was always, it was something that I wanted to do. And so that's why I'm trying to always tell people, whether it's kids or adults, like don't ever, don't not try. You have to attempt something, try something, because if you don't attempt it, you don't try it. You might miss out 
on something that you love. It's funny that you mentioned that. Forgive me for interrupting because uh, I've used this term before as well. It's pretty much the same thing. It's called follow your dreams. Uh, Follow your dreams because if you don't, you'll never know. And I followed my dreams and I'm still dreaming. And so that seems to be the same uh, concept here is that you got to take a shot. Yeah, you got to take a shot. Like, you know, if you don't, and I always say, I always have this issue of, of giving up on stuff because you never know, like right around the corner that you're about to come to, like your, your greatness, whatever you're good at, it could be right around the corner. And so I just have a, a problem with giving up. It's just, it's not in my DNA. And so, um, you know, I found out through life, especially playing football, when I started playing my junior year in high school and my senior year, it just was, the game wasn't easy. I had to work a little bit, but when I went to the University of Miami, that's when I really figured out like how hard guys are working coming from different backgrounds than I came from. And, you know, life was easy and things came easy to me. So at that time in my life, when things got hard, it was easy for me to give up. And, you know, I think a lot of that changed once my dad got sick and I I was going through it at that time. But once he passed away, I think a lot of things just kind of clicked that you don't have things, you're not going to have everything and not not everything's going to last forever. And so if you have an opportunity, you got to take advantage of it while it's there because it might not be there. And so that's just kind of been my, my way of thinking throughout life, you know, after my dad passed. And so a lot of that has come from now that I was able to have my own platform, I got to be able to share it with others. And so, you know, getting up and speaking is, is one of those outlets for me to, to be able to tell my story and hopefully impact a lot of people. You know, you called yourself the son of royalty of the city. And I love the fact that in many ways, Jared, you really do carry a torch for your dad. It's kind of hard not to when your last name is Peyton. So tell me a story I don't know where there's ever been times when you didn't wish you had that last name. Hmm. Sometimes I, I think about it when it comes to sports, I think for me, um, you know, it's that was always some some tough baggage to carry around as as an athlete, as a kid. Um, even when I was playing soccer, I remember, you know, playing in the tournament in Rockford when I was younger in the early 90s. And I was running down the field and, you know, people no social media back then, but people knew who I was. And you know, I was a big deal in the soccer world, especially here in Illinois. And so anytime I went to go play somewhere, I always had parents yelling at me and just always saying the obnoxious things. But there's one time I was dribbling down the sideline and I remember like stopping on the ball and and these parents ran up on the line and like, you'll never be like your dad. I just was like, what? And I got the ball stolen away from me. And I was just like in disbelief, like, what? I'm not even playing the same sport. And as a kid, you're trying to figure it out, trying to process it. And for me, I just had a hard time processing everything. But, you know, it goes back to, you know, my dad just being the person that he was. He always, he would tell me, he said, son, listen, don't be like me, be better than me. And back then I was having a hard time with that too. I didn't know what he was talking about, but I think I understand now. It wasn't like as a football player, it was as a person. And like, he always wanted me, me to be myself. And he knew that I was dealing with this stuff because you know, I know now as a, as a father, my son deals with it because I see it. I understand it. I've been through it. He went through it. So he understood what I was going through. And so the, the switch to, to football was always tough because now you're playing the same sport and people always want to, you know, the jersey number might be different. But if you have a nameplate on the back, it's going to say Peyton. That's not going to change. And my dad would always tell me, like, the number will change. If you play this game for a long time, you might not always keep the same number, but your last name is always going to be the same. So make sure you take care of it. Second down now, trying to punch it through. Peyton has it. Touchdown, Jared Peyton. First and goal now. Peyton, touchdown. 
got to figure he's going to get it. There it is. There's the touchdown. The Jared Payton Show today. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is sponsored by the Polina Market. And with the grilling season upon us, you have no excuse not to shop there. It's been Chicago's premier market for the finest meats and more since 1949. And it's gotten bigger and better. How about chicken and fish in your basket to go along with their absolutely mouth-watering steaks such as the tomahawk, porterhouse, and wagyu. And if you like brats and sausages, add that to your basket and head right to the grill. Then there's the vast frozen food section where everything is freshly made, including chicken pot pies, meatloaf, and pulled pork. Besides the addition of fresh seafood, the Polina Market is now serving sandwiches and also has a solid array of wonderful wines and beers Plus, they've expanded again, making the in-store experience even more satisfying. Remember, you can still order online and you can have it shipped wherever you live. I've been shopping here for 37 years and with good reason. The Polina Market is as good as it gets and conveniently located at 3501 North Lincoln Avenue in Chicago. Check them out on their impressive website at polinamarket.com. The easiest way to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is to follow me on social media at George Hoffman. That's O-F-M-A-N, just one F, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the free TuneIn app, and wherever you get your podcasts. We return with Jared Payton on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. So let's talk about trying to be yourself. You're a sportscaster, you record music, you have a restaurant. Now that's quite a combination, Jared. So tell me a story I don't know about. What's the restaurant all about? And can you get me a reservation? <laughs> you always have a reservation, yes. I mean, you... My dad was involved in a lot of things after football. And I saw that and it really pushed me and it, it was something that excited me because I saw him get involved in restaurants and bars. And I was like, man, this is racing cars and all this other stuff. I'm like, this is so cool. Like, this is perfect. But it was perfect for him. And him and I are pretty similar in the way that we are with people. Like, we love people. Our family, we just, we love people. And so this was an opportunity for me to do that. Once I hit 40, that's where I'm at now. It's like, what more can I do? I want to do more. And there's things that are on my wish list that I have written down, you know, that I want to do and I want to create. And I've always been a creator. I mean, that's, I've been uh, creative my whole entire life. And so coming up with new concepts, new ideas is what excites me. It's what keeps my blood flowing. And um, I just look forward to seeing, you know, what I can create or help create or help promote or help just like grow as the time goes on. Well, you're growing, you're blossoming in the broadcast business and now you're at Channel 9. And I have to tell you, when I was a guest from time to time with you and Josh Friedman during your run at CLTV, I had a real blast doing it. It was fun. But you talked about how it's a season, especially baseball, it's long. This offense is gonna get right. Does it take a day to be able to come home to have, to get that offense going just a little bit more? I don't know. It, look, they have averaged, I think they have averaged over the last four plus years that uh, Madden has been here, 16th with men in scoring position. We had something special. Uh, Josh and I, it's funny because we, we met around Valentine's Day and we did a test show because I was still at WGN radio at that time. And I didn't know what was going on. They asked me to come do some pilot show and I'm like, all right, I'll come do it. I'm like, who's this guy I'm doing the show with? not knowing that down the line we were going to do a show for five years together. <laughs> and, um, you know, George, what we created was, was amazing because it was, it gave an outlet to a lot of young reporters. I feel like our show sports feed gave people that opportunity. And so, you know, to see some of the careers that we helped. And when we ended the show after CLTV dissolved, Man, just the emails and the texts and the tweets about, you know, we, giving people their first shot on TV and how it helped them. Um, that was worth the, 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 the grind of every single night. I mean, we, for five years, we did a show five nights a week, man. And not we easy. We did thousands of shows. It's, it was, 
and it's an hour, and it was an hour show, like not a half hour. It was an hour show, and it, so it, it was a grinding show. And I'm just wondering, when did you decide that you wanted to get into this business? Was it something that someone pushed you into, or was it something that you wanted to do? Because I do know that and you're the second person now I've interviewed, and tell me a story I don't know, who went to a broadcasting a sports broadcasting camp, and the other one is Peggy Kaczynski, and you both made it. Yeah, we both. I mean, I. I had no clue. I mean, I, I I was no clue. I had no clue what I wanted to do life after football, but we wrote, my wife and I, when we were dating, I remember when I got released from the Tennessee Titans, that was one of the things that we wrote down all the things that I wanted to do, five year, 10 year plan, like things that I wanted to start and create. And um, so while I was at NOS Center for Broadcasting, I got that email and I went to the broadcast boot camp. So in my group, which was the best group of that session of the time that we were, we were in uh, New Jersey at NFL Films. It was Nate Burlinson who now is blown up. He's on, he's on everything. He was in my group. Um, a couple other people that made it were in that group. And so it was a grind that, that the four days that we were there. But I remember leaving and there were so many people that were there, George, different people at different networks that had, you know, big wigs who were there watching us. And, and so Jason Romano, who um, worked at ESPN, well, I get a call like four days later and he hits me up and he said, listen, man, I just want to let you know, I've been following you on Twitter. I love what you're all about. He's like, we're looking for another co-host of this show. And they were like, we, we want to bring you in for, for a trial run give you an opportunity and I was like all right no one ever told me that you know my trial run was actually going to be on air breaking down like SEC football and it was the it was Sports Nation the college football show and I remember going there thinking I'm so scared and the two times that I had to film that that one Saturday I was that I was in Bristol I came back home and they, they asked me if I would do the gig for the whole entire football season. And that was like the first time that I jumped into TV and I had a blast. You know, basically that's what I've done through this whole process is I've learned from Dan Rohn, I've learned from Rich King and, and guys who I looked up to for a long time and who I watched for a long time. And um, to be able to be an African-American man sitting in that seat delivering sports to one of the greatest sports cities in the city in the world here in Chicago, man, it, it's, I never take that lightly, George, ever. And welcome in again, Dan Rona, Jared Payton. Nice to have you with us tonight for GN Sports. You can vote in the Chicago's WGN Chicago Madness Bracket Challenge. It's 16 of the best moments in Chicago sports history, squaring off head-to-head. -head. And uh, Joe and Micah, my dad's record-setting day is in there, so you probably know where I'm going to be voting yeah. early and yeah. often in this one. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is sponsored by Vienna Beef, makers of Chicago's hot dog and a Chicago institution since 1893. It's grilling season, so what better than throwing some mouth-watering Vienna hot dogs and Polish sausages on the grill? Then drag them through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and celery salt. I don't know about you, but I'm getting hungry. And look for the new spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasonings such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar, creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available just about everywhere from restaurants, grocery stores, and the ballpark, socks and cubs, museums, and zoos. You can't miss them. Plus, you can purchase them online coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and Amazon. Vienna also has Farm Acres Chili, Mini Bagel Dogs, Condiments, and Classic Deli Meats. Take the word from a guy who grew up on Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com. I want to take you back to the time when Walter knew he had bile duct cancer and needed a liver transplant. And he made this emotional plea during a live appearance on WSCR, The Score. And you were there, of course. To 
to the people that really care about me. To the, to the people that really care about me, just continue to pray. And for those who are going to say what they want to say, may God be with you also. It wasn't long after Walter passed, and I remember having to deliver the news on the score that day. We all knew it was inevitable, but it was still such a difficult moment for me as a professional. But he meant something far different to all of us. For you, this was much more than an icon. He was your dad. It was a crazy day. It literally was. Uh, it was, you know, I was back home from Miami a couple of days before I got a phone call. Rob Chizinski, who was the tight ends coach back then at Miami, he also recruited me while even before I got to Miami. And so he called my my dorm room and told me I needed to come over to the facility. And I get there and Coach Chud looks at me. He's like, listen, man, your dad wants you home. And when he said that, I didn't know what was going on, but I knew it wasn't good. And I remember that flight home from, from Miami to Chicago, just so many thoughts going through my brain about what's going on, what's happening. You know, no one's really telling me what's happening with him and how he's feeling. And I remember getting home and being home. And I look back on it now, and I'm just very thankful that I had that opportunity to spend some of those last days with him. But yeah, it was, my sister was at school. Um, I remember the the night before we was Halloween and I went out with my friends and we went to a, a haunted house. And then we went back to a friend of mine who lived down the street from us and we were there and I just had this feeling. It's like, I gotta go home. And everybody's like, why you gotta go home? What are you doing? What? And a lot of people were wondering why I was home. And I wasn't telling my friends who were still in the area, like, why I was home. Because they knew that I had a game that weekend. <laughs> they were like, what are you doing home? And I remember just getting back to the house. It was about five minutes away and, and being there. And, you know, just that morning, just everything didn't feel right. And it was like this weird, like everybody was holding their breath the entire day and so when my dad was at the hospital and said that he wanted to come home I knew that 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 day could be coming that we were going to lose him and um funny the day before though I told him I mean he wasn't able to talk but he would look at me and you know George his eyes he'd give you those eyes man and he better straighten up I told him I wanted to buy a motorcycle and I'll never forget the look on his eyes when he looked at me like you are not buying a motorcycle <laughs> and um that was kind of that was kind of the last interaction that I had with him before he passed but then the day that he did pass um while everybody in my house was going crazy because we had family there and everybody was just going crazy and I remember sitting down with him and, and holding his hand his hand was still warm. And I remember just talking to him and telling him that, like, listen, dad, I got this. Like you, every single moment of my life that I've shared with you has led me to this point. Like he, he was grooming me to be able to handle everything that I was going to have to handle down the line. Like he was a visionary. He saw it. And so I told him, I said, I'm going to do the things that you weren't able to do. I'm gonna accomplish things that you were trying to do that you couldn't do. I'm gonna do those things. I'm going to do them. Hence the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing now. I mean, my dad loved being on TV, loved calling games and stuff. And so now I get a chance to do that on a daily basis. I know he loved, you know, restaurants and all and, and bars. I'm in that business now too. Um, there was at one point I had my own beer. My dad had his beer. I mean, there's so many similarities of things. If you look at my life and, and how it's aligned right now, it's a, it's a lot from what I saw from him. And so, um, you know, George, it, it, a weird day. You had to give the news while my family and I were trying to figure out how we were going to break the news. He was sweetness. He was light on his feet. He was the numbers say the greatest runner in NFL history. And tonight, Walter Payton is gone. It's a weird thing, you know, when you you have a celebrity 
as a father, as a parent, things aren't as normal like it would be probably for everybody else, you know? And, you know, an hour or two later, we had helicopters flying over our house. We had people outside of the gate, just like, so there's really, honestly, I mean, from in that moment, there was, there was never time to like sit back and grieve and like process everything that happened because everything was moving so fast. It was moving way too fast. And, um, you know, now I, I, I sit back and I reflect on some of those, those times and that time and, and process it a little bit better now. And, and I'm just proud of how, you know, my mom, my sister and I have really, you know, carried on the legacy and have, have really kept my dad's spirit alive, but it's not just us. It's the fans out there as well who every day are hitting me up talking about they wear the number 34 every single Sunday, or you go to a Bears game and you see all the 34 jerseys, or you get the emails about a kid named Peyton because, you know, the, the parents were huge Bears fans and, and they love that, or, or we are the dogs. We have so many emails of dogs named Peyton. It's just amazing. And so mm-hmm. it's those people that help us keep his legacy alive. And um, it's the reason why he's talked about every single day. I want to take this in a different direction. You know, I'm very proud to say that I share a distinction with several others. It's a painful one, but for different reasons, good reasons. I've had my ass pinched by your dad, which was clearly a sign of endearment. Matter of fact, I remember when he got me as we were leaving a restaurant, he pinched me so damn hard, laughed and ran away, and I felt it for days. But I also knew that was a way of him saying, I like you. Yeah, it was. He, he was, was really a prankster. He was. He was a prankster through and through. I mean, all the time. I mean, everything that he would do. Just listening to, you know, Matt Suey, who I've been so very thankful for having in my life. Matt has is, is been a mentor. My dad you know, kind of left him in charge of his image and likeness. And so he has been, since 99, he's been involved with my family and taking care of us, made sure we were okay. And Matt was just telling me stories too. He's called my wife up a number of times. You know, just two weeks ago, he called her up. I'd call their house and I'll uh, pretend like I was a female looking for him, you know, crying and everything else. You know, about the old God, he he told me he wasn't married and this and that. He sounds like a girl, you know, he gets his voice up at high and... Uh, he had my wife going. You always had to be on your toes, and he kept people on your toes. And when you were around him, George, you know, you had to, you always had to be looking to see where he was, because if not, yeah, you were going to get that pinch, and it was <laughs> going to even leave the mark or it was going to last for a couple of days. There are a lot of perks growing up with iconic sports figures, Jared, and one of them is you get to meet others. So tell me a story I don't know about one of them whose name happens to be Jordan. Oh man, yeah, MJ and my dad were a perfect combo. And, you know, you think about the time when my dad ended his career in 87 to when Michael was, you know, getting to his stardom and it was just perfect timing. And there was a a time where Jordan came to my house and my dad whistled, told me to go get the door. And so I did. And when I opened up the door, I didn't have the lights on, but I could see that there was a big tall dude standing out there, trench coat, all these these three people behind him and flipped on the lights. And it was Michael Jordan. He was like, yo, is your dad here? And I was like, um, first of all, my dad said, don't let strangers in the house. So uh, <laughs> let me go get him first. Yeah. <laughs> and, How and old Jordan, were you then? I, well, I had to be at least... Uh, it was at least 11. I was 11, I think. 11 or 12. I, don't, I don't think Michael was a stranger, was he? No, he wasn't a stranger. <laughs> I knew, I knew, but I was, I think I was more in shock because I yeah. remember that day I was playing, a, I had this basketball with his, a fake signature on it that, you know, with his on it. And I was playing basketball down at the basketball court. And I remember he ended up signing it later that night, but he came in and he gave me his coat and all the the two, uh, the three guys that are with him gave me their coats too. I put them on the washer and dryer because our our coat room was full of my mom's fur coats and and Burt Reynolds used to send my dad coats every single Christmas. So we, we, it was always full. So we put our company's coats on the washer and dryer. 
and they were going downstairs. We had this atrium in the middle of our house and I could see with glass all around. So I could see downstairs, different angles. So my dad was setting up a, a, a table cart for with cards and he was shuffling the cards and they were about to play poker. And, and I heard my dad whistle again. I ran downstairs and Mike said, go upstairs and get the money that's in my pocket, please. So I did. And he had just bills rolled up in rubber bands and I brought it down. He gave me five bucks. So I was super excited. And like two hours later, I hear the whistle again. And my dad is behind the, the bar and he's counting all this money. And I was looking at Mike. He looked really upset, like really upset. Tell me he beat your, your Michael Jordan in poker or whatever. Oh, yeah, he did. He did. He gave, <laughs> my, dad, my dad ended up giving me like a hundred bucks and told me like, tell Mike, thanks. So I was like, thanks, Mike. And I ran upstairs and, um, you know, those two, they they battled, they were at my house until late in the early morning and they were just battling at everything from pool to, to Miss Pac-Man to everything. And I think if it was early enough, they might, we had a shooting gallery in our basement. I think they probably would have went down there and did some target shooting, but it was too late because the room that, that was right underneath my sister's room and my room. And I just remember waking up the next morning and asking my dad, like, why were you guys up so late? And he said, son, when you get two people like us in a room, nobody wants to lose. And now that I'm older, I get it. I understand. I understand like the mentality of both of those guys, man, and what made them great. And what made them great is that they hated losing. Like they loved to win. They hated losing. The money was never the motivator. It was it was the grind to be able to put in all the hard work to be able to to get to where you wanted to. And so you look at both guys and where they came up from from college and to come to the city and to truly make their name and to to establish something that only few to ever walk the face of this earth actually get a chance to do or accomplish. Um, I think everything about them, the similarities is what made them close. And um, yeah, cool story to, to be able to have, but I'll be honest though, Mike, Mike has been nothing but amazing to me, even, you know, throughout the years. I mean, anytime that we're in the same place, he, I mean, he treats, we don't see each other all the time. We don't talk all the time, but you would think that we, we do if I ever see him and, and his, his, his love for my pops and the respect that he had. And it went both ways for both guys. And so um, it's not that often, George, where you get your two favorite sports heroes in the same room and one being your dad, the other one being the goat. Uh, it's a cool, cool moment that I look back on and very, very thankful that, uh, that I was able to have that experience. You have created a foundation. Tell me a story I don't know about it and what are the aims and the goals? My biggest thing growing up was watching my parents have a foundation. And, you know, I said when I got to a certain age that I was going to, and if I had a platform, I was going to be able to start my own. And so my wife and I, we started the Jared Payton Foundation a little over 10 years ago. And, you know, the aim was an anti-bullying campaign called Project No Bull, which has grown over the years of speaking at schools to kids and um, what morphed after that was a lot of different things was a, you know, a golf tournament was a bags tournament. There's a, you know, there was a bowling event at one point and, you know, all these things to be able to really, you know, raise money for a cause that was near dear to my heart. And, and so, you know, talking to close to a hundred thousand kids over the last 10 years has been amazing because I've had a chance to watch these kids grow. They've grown found me on social media, hit me up on emails and talk about, you know, the stories and, and inspiring them to be better people in their communities and their households and on their teams that it's really helped them. And so, you know, it's really shown me like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is, this is the impact. This is how I'm going to leave my, you know, my legacy. And it's also a good way, you know, now having my own kids to show them, this is what we do. And hopefully down the line that, you know, they can do this in some capacity in their lives, you know, whether it's, you know, starting a foundation or finding something, you know, that they're passionate about that they want to give their time or money to because there's so many good causes out there. And so it, this has been, it's been an experience, but, you know, the, the impact of the, that I'm making on these young kids, 
um, is pretty cool. And and, and even f- it's funny because it all comes back. And I was thinking about this the other day, about how, you know, these kids that I've talked to are the ones that are now, or even in the next 10 years, are the ones watching me on TV now. They're like the next consumers. They're the ones buying stuff. And so um, to be able to talk to these kids when they're in, you know, middle school to, you know, see they're in college and get into the real world and that they've taken some of my message with me and they can still connect with me. That's what makes it so special. I conclude all of these interviews the same way. If not for sports, Jarrett, what would you have been? Oof. I don't know, George. I mean, honestly, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I would probably... <laughs> Not an easy one, huh? Oh, it, I, I, no one's ever asked me this question before. 40 years old, no one's ever asked me that before. I don't think I've ever really thought about it. Because sports has been pretty much everything. It's the only thing I've, I've, I've done since I was four years old. I've been around it for so long. Um, I'd probably be some type of minister, preacher, something like that. Honestly, that's what, I, that's what I think. I think that's my other calling. Thank you, Jared Payton, for telling me a story I don't know. My thanks to WGN Sports, Walter Payton the Joker from Kevin Turner, the CFL, WSCR The Score, Nintendo, and ESPN Sports Century for those wonderful sound bites. Thanks, as always, to T.J. Reeves for putting this podcast on the map, Will Hatzel for his deft editing, T.T. Shinkin for her artistic touch, and Ken Schreiner for always being there. And, of course, to our presenting sponsors, the Polina Market. Find them at polinamarket.com and the Vienna Beef Company in business since 1893. You can find them at viennabeef.com. Join me next time for another edition of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.